Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. Just in case someone is brand new, I want you to introduce yourself. I'm Danielle. Hi, I'm the director of Worship Arts and his wife, most importantly. (laughs) Yep, and uh, what we're going to do is, um, so we picked um, several questions at random. Um, They've seen like all 60 questions. They don't know what I'm going to ask. I just gave it to our production team, the order I'm going to ask some of these questions. We have a few of them numbered. Um, But, you know, I I, want to start off with just something quirky because I'm sure there's a few people that that, uh, don't know you. I'm just really curious. I'll start with Danielle. What did you first see in Mike, like when, you know, when you just got to know him? Well, for those of you who have heard our story before, my first impression of Mike was um, my mom had come to visit me at college, and she had seen Mike. He was kind of around my group of friends, and, you know, always looking for a future husband had been like, oh, what about him? And I told my mom that I would never date someone like him because he was too obnoxious. So that was my... (laughs) But beyond that, when we got past the obnoxious phase, um, um, I think it was just the more we got to know each other, the more we realized how much our... Uh, vision for life kind of lined up. We, I felt a strong call to ministry from the time I was a kid. And, uh, you know, as we kind of, we were in Bible college together and discussed things like that, I really just was like, oh, we kind of, you know, have the same thoughts and vision for life and serving the Lord together. And that's kind of what started it. So I was obnoxious when I was younger, but uh, <laughs> and much skinnier back then too. Much, much, much. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, Danielle and I, we had like a lot of the same uh, friendship circles and stuff. And uh, I think it was senior year, I had like a bucket list of all these things I wanted to do, uh, all these places I wanted to see before I graduated and stuff. Because uh, once you once you become a pastor, you, that that's where you go every Sunday. So I was like, hmm. Uh, before I graduate, I want to go to like different churches, observe, get some ideas and stuff. And Danielle heard about my bucket list and said, I'll join you. And so one of our first uh, times, we, we drove from little Phoenixville, Pennsylvania to Brooklyn, New York, uh, to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle prayer meeting. And uh, we went there and, and we were, you know, strangers and just observed. And it was one of those special moments where they're like, I'm going to call all the brothers to come forward, all the men. And I was like, uh, I don't go to this church, and I'm going to leave her alone. What do I do, you know? And uh, so a little bit like we had that list. Uh, But, yeah, I I think what Danielle said was the same. Just we had uh, similar desires for future, uh, similar callings. And I think once we uh, united uh, through that, said, okay, you know. And I had some friends tell me, bro, she's marriage material. Okay, okay, you know. (laughs) And so uh, that's how it came about. All about the bros. Perfect. (laughs) So. Um, so you've been married for how long? Pop quiz for you, Mike. Uh, almost 13 years. He got you. Know, so he answered that right away. Give them a hand. So we got married on 7707. So we'll never forget July 7, 2007. Um, pro tip: pick a date you can remember. Um, so, what advice do the two of you have for a newlywed couple? Which was the most popular question that everyone asked. Yeah. By the way. So that that was a lot, right? A lot of people asked about the newlyweds. 
Uh, I think one question even was, is it, uh, is it normal for a newlywed to fight this much? And uh, yep, it probably is. But uh, the, the advice that, that I would say for a newlywed couple is, uh, one is just uh, don't, don't take yourself a little bit too seriously. You know, so many times uh, at the newlywed phase, we feel like we got to prove ourselves. You know, I'm the, the man of the house or the woman of the house, and I've got this job and we've got this career. And I think sometimes we, we take ourselves a little bit too seriously when the newlywed phase is a time to just have fun and, and get to know each other. And, uh, you know, so like if I looked back and I would say, what would we have done differently? I think it would have been that, you know, don't realize that, you know, fighting is okay in the beginning because you're trying to figure each other out and you're trying to figure out your personalities. Uh, but at the same time, have fun, you know, like you don't have attachments at home. Uh, you know, you don't have kids that you have to go back for, or it's not a school night or things like that. And so uh, if I could go back, I probably would have, we probably would have gone on a lot more date nights, uh, and stuff, but, but we didn't, we didn't know. Nobody sat us down. So that'd be my advice. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we uh, were a little too hard on ourselves in the beginning. Um, you know, we got married really young, fresh out of college, starting our first jobs together um, and had moved to a new church a couple months after we got married. And so we're adjusting to expectations on us and a new place to live and being away from all the friends we had been around for so long. And I think we kind of took frustration and anxiety out on each other. And I think if we could go back, we probably turn a little more towards each other than, you know, fighting like we did. And, um, you know, just kind of, I would say to newlyweds, it's never too early if you feel like you're struggling to reach out and get some counseling, especially if you didn't have premarital counseling. We did not have good premarital counseling and we did not deal with a lot of the issues we were bringing into the marriage beforehand. And we had this stigma of we're newlyweds. We can't go to counseling. We can't be in that much trouble yet. And I wish back then I had had someone say, you know what, there's no weakness in going to have someone, you know, help you to learn to communicate a little more. It's just, it shows strength in your marriage to be able to do that because it shows what your priority is and your priority if you're going to go seek counseling is for your marriage and fighting for your marriage and to me that's a strength well following up on that point danielle um i mean any tips on building devotion and longevity in your marriage yes i um you know i I think kind of along the lines of what I said about turning towards each other, like every conflict we have is an opportunity to kind of be like, okay, let's figure this out and let's move towards each other and fight for our marriage. Or I'm going to pull back and feel sorry for myself and the way my needs aren't being met. And I want you to kind of read my mind. You know, I had that attitude a lot as a younger married person. Why can't you just know what I'm thinking? And if you loved me, you would be able to figure this out. And um, I think, yeah, just being able to look at each other and be like, you know what, this is something we need to work through. Let's just choose in this moment to work through it together. And a big thing for me in um, devotion and longevity is that I think has kind of gone by the wayside in our culture today is just 
um, the thought, kind of what uh, Jay, Dr. Jay Feld brought up a couple year, uh, weeks ago about just being attached to each other. Like, my goal is to keep, even 13 years into it, every day, like, keep uniting our lives together. And whatever's going to make our marriage stronger and whatever's going to pull us together, that's what I want to be doing. And a lot of that means, you know, you have full access to my life. You know, we are two different people, but the two become one. And every decision that I make is filtered through, you know, how does this affect Mike? And, you know, if my girlfriends want to go out to dinner, well, is Mike going to be okay with the kids that night? And, and things like that. And I think in our culture, a lot of times it's like we have to take things for ourselves. And I need my time and I need to do this. And I think if we both just mutually agree of like, we're going to take each other into consideration in every decision we make, you know, my money is your money. My home is your home. We are fighting for this together. You know, we're working at everything together. I think that's the best thing you can do really just to daily produce that longevity and devotion to each other yeah and um uh thinking about it like uh, a lot of times uh in our culture today if i could be honest we're, we're a little bit far too lazy we, we just are you know like uh i i want to lose weight and i should join the gym but tomorrow let's do that tomorrow <laughs> and what happens is tomorrow becomes 10 years from now and uh, I, I think a lot of times uh, when it comes to marriage, uh, when it comes to relationships, we allow culture to unknowingly dictate a lot uh, of what we feel like a, a good, healthy couple should look like. Uh, but, but in reality, you, you, you don't know everything. And even though we're sitting up here, we, we don't know everything. And, uh, you know, there was a time years ago that we probably, if we were sitting at this time frame talking about marriage and, and relationships, we would have been like, no, we, we need to be in the crowd actually learning from someone else. And uh, again, that's okay, but I think we live in a day and age of a lot of information. And so many of us will, will work so hard on our careers, but we'll work so few on our marriages. And uh, just to encourage you, you know, like uh, just uh, get a get a book, you know, just uh, maybe about marriage or about relationships, or even if you're single and you're like, what do I do in this in-between time? Get, get a book, a good one, right? Vet it. Don't just, you know, take the first Amazon review you read and think that's amazing. But, you know, like just think through that stuff and uh, we all can learn. Uh, and, and it's amazing that the human mind, it, it can still grow even with age, right? And so that's why I think it's important. How do you build longevity? Uh, a, you make the commitment, but you also realize it's an internal commitment to, to get better as a human being. The better I am as a person, the better our marriage is going to be, the, the better our uh, kids are going to be. And so that's why it's always important to, to work on ourselves and read God's word uh, and, and read some, some godly advice on just how do I be a better husband or a better wife uh, during those time frames. So. so 13 years in, how do you keep the spark alive? Uh, through kindling. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, that, that's, it, it, I think a lot of it is just recognizing the, the seasons. Like right now, we're, we're in a pretty crazy busy season where uh, we got two young kids at home. And as you know, in New York City, the, the apartments only get smaller and the rent only gets bigger, right? If only it was the opposite. The rent gets smaller and the apartment gets bigger. But uh, with, with the kids, uh, we, we joke around like Landon and Blake, they, uh, they see our living room as either a basketball court or a baseball field at all times. So poor neighbors uh, below us. But uh, I, I think a lot of it, how do you keep the spark alive? I think a lot of it deals with the, the date night. 
and just having that time, that one-on-one time, knowing like, hey, we're going to have time on ourselves, to work on ourselves. And again, I think it goes back to that thing of we take ourselves a little bit too seriously and we just got to have fun. Like, uh, you know, Danielle is my best friend and she will always be. And so best friends, they hang out, you know, that they have normal conversations, they do fun things. And so uh, if, if you're at that stage of life like us where kids are crazy and uh, if, if you even have that where you plan a date night and somehow, you know, they always get a fever or something. You're like, come on, why this night, you know? But, uh, you know, I think it's just important to, uh, we've had moments even where maybe it's a crazy night and we can't get away, but we put the kids to bed a little bit early, order some food on Seamless, pop a movie in, and that's our one-on-one time. And I think it's important uh, just for, for as a couple to know, like this is going to be our, our time where we just have fun and enjoy each other. Uh, vacations are good, uh, especially vacations without kids. Praise God. Come on, somebody. Right? And it is possible. It is possible. Uh, but sometimes you need that every now and then, just a vacation without the kids to just enjoy each other and be best friends and hang out. Yeah, and I would just add, you know, your marriage has to be the priority before your kids because if the marriage starts to fall apart, your whole family starts to fall apart. And so I think, you know, there's seasons when, of course, like our kids demand a lot and we need to tend to their needs, but there's also times when, you know, whether they like it or not, we're going to leave them at home with a babysitter and we're going to go out. And most of the time they like that. Um, But yeah, just making that a priority and not letting our kids' behavior or issues we're having with them turn us against each other, but just kind of managing that together and remembering that our marriage comes first. Really cool. And for any of you with OCD, uh, no, the questions are not in order. And um, production team, I'm going to start jumping around and drive you crazy. Um, so um, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, they're not married yet. They're in relationships or maybe uh, they're in a marriage and... Um, you know, they're, they're just starting to bring people to their, their other half to the journey. I guess the first question I want to ask is question number nine on, on the list. Uh, it's um, how do you really know someone is the best person for you? And does God tell you? That's, uh, I love this question, right? How do you really know? And, and do you ever get that advice from the other person? You're genuinely seeking, right? And you ask that person, like, so how do you know? And they almost always reply with, when you know, you know. And you're like, that does not help at all. Thank you. Thank you for wasting my time, right? And, and then also like the other one, does God, like, like did God wake me up in a dream? Michael, my son, Danielle is the one for you. Thank you, Lord, you know, and stuff. And I think first and foremost, it's, it's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves with this. You know, uh, again, just to state, um, you know, the, the, the world population right now is 7.5 billion people. And we spend our lives so worried about finding the one. I got to find the one. I got to find the right person. Don't marry the wrong person. If I marry the wrong person and they're supposed to be with someone else and then we have kids, then my kids are wrong kids. And then what do we do with that? And then maybe I pick the wrong job. I'm in the wrong city. And before you know it, we drive ourselves crazy with just nothing, right? And, and um, Andy Stanley, he's, he's one of my favorite, uh, you know, Christian uh, authors and speakers. And he even says this. He says that at most in life, you're going to be at most 80% sure of a decision that you have. 
you're never going to be 100% sure, right? So, so what car do I buy? 80% sure, right? Do I take this job or not? We're about 80% sure, and we just pick, and we live with the differences. And to assume that there is one perfect person out there for you also assumes that you are a perfect person for someone else. And what I know about myself is true for you. We're not perfect. We're fallen. And so if we live with this idea that we need to find the perfect person, we're, we're searching after something that's not real. Does that make sense? And so I think that the idea is, obviously, you, you want to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, this, uh, this is a prayerful decision, right? Who, who do I spend the rest of my life with? But if we're looking for like a bachelor moment, you know, like where someone's going to come down in a helicopter with rose petals when the door opens up and a <laughs> waterfall comes down, it's, you know, we're, we're kidding ourselves. And so I, I would say just make it a matter of, of prayer. It's a big decision. <coughs> but understand, it, it's a choice. Love is a choice. It's not a byproduct of finding the right person. And so you're saying every day I'm choosing to love you and you're choosing to love me, knowing that we're fallen human beings and sometimes we hurt those that we love most, but I still know in a committed marriage, in a committed relationship that we have chosen each other till death do us part. And I think that's the beauty of, of Christ, right? That's what Christ asks us to do. That's what he did with us. He didn't say, okay, you finally got your act together. Okay, I'll go up, the, up on that cross for you. No, he did it anyway, and he still would do it over and over again for us. And that's what relationships is, and it ought to be, is a model of that for each other. So does God tell you, we wish he did, but, you know, he leaves the choice with us. And John Maxwell, says this, I like this quote, but he says, at the end of the day, you make decisions, and then you spend the rest of your life managing those decisions. And too many times we're paralyzed at making decisions that we forget all of life is really about managing the decisions that we make. And so spend more focus on managing that decision rather than worried about, did I make the right one? Yeah, and I, I think the discernment part, praying for discernment, that the Holy Spirit would just uh, lead and guide you in that. You know, if I had looked at just our personalities, if either one of us had looked at just our personalities, we probably would have been like, eh. <laughs> um, because we're just, we were completely opposites. Um, but we had the same dreams, the same goals, the same interests. And, you know, we, I think we both saw down the road of like, wow, we could have a really good life together and we, we love each other and we could really make an impact for the kingdom of God. And those were the things that were most important to each of us and finding someone. And also if you have, you know, trusted confidants or moms or grandmothers you know that you've allowed to speak into your life over the years and you really trust their judgment then I would say more than anything allow those people in just to view the two of you together and if they have red flags almost any couple that I've I've heard well my friends don't like him or my friends don't really like her and they tell me I should look out for this you know in the end it's your decision but if you have I'm talking trusted close friends, not just coworkers that you hang with during the week, but really close friends that are saying, hey, you know, 
can you just think about this? I would encourage you really to allow those people to speak in as well as you consider that decision because God may be showing them something that, you know, when love is blind, you can't necessarily see. And I know several situations where if people would have just kind of heeded a little bit of judgment to what people were saying around them, then, you know, it could have made a difference in that decision they made. Uh, Daniel, you actually branched it onto what was our question number 13, which is uh, should a Christian be in a relationship with an unbeliever? And we combine a couple of these questions together. Another one that goes with that is, or with an uncommitted believer with the hope that they will grow in the Lord. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that after you just gave that last answer? I would say if you're dating someone and you're a believer and they're not, that unfortunately, I just really think that you need to reconsider that until they make that decision on their own. I just, I have never seen it end up where one person was a Christian and following after the Lord and they started dating someone who just didn't believe any of that. I, I've just never seen it work out well, unfortunately. And I just, I think it's a red flag, to be honest. I think, you know, if you want to fulfill the call God has on your life, then you need to be equally yoked in that way. And if you're married to someone who you're a believer and he or she is not, you know, you've made that decision. You've made that commitment to love that person. And I would just encourage you to pray for them, to give them a reason to want to come to church or to be around Christian people and, and never cease in that. You know, it's not a hopeless situation by any means. Um, but, you know, if you're still on the other side of it and can make a judgment call there, I, I would encourage you to really think through that. Yeah, I think w with each question that, that's asked, it, it's hard because we could go so many angles and, and I feel like sometimes we could be a politician, answer the question, but not, you know, spend three minutes thanking the Republican or Democratic National Congress and never answering the question. But we're going to try our best to answer this in, in a way. But as, as we look at it, you know, like um, we would just encourage uh, to, to find out what really matters to you. You know, because marriage really is an amplifier, it not an answer for some of the questions and some of the problems. Sometimes we're like, you know, I like him, but he spends a lot of times on video games. But when we're married, that's going to change. No, homeboy's still going to be playing Pokemon and Pikachu when you're married <laughs> instead of washing the dishes, you know. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that's just what, what we've seen a lot of times. And so with this, like if faith and your walk with Christ really is important to you, I would say hold it to a high regard and hold it to a high standard. I've met with people before. I'll never forget. I met with a guy one time who was single and he was like, uh, literally told me at the age of like 28, you know what, Mike, I've just given up the hope that there's a Christian girl out there for me. Really? 28. Life expectancy is like at least 78. So for the next 50 years... You are never going to meet a Christian girl in your life? Wow, that, that's more faith than in Christ, you know what I mean? And plus, again, there's 7.5 billion people in this world. In today's society, it's never been easier to, to meet someone, right? There's all these apps, all these different things. Again, watch out what apps you download, please. You know, but there, there's a lot of different ways to, to meet other people. And uh, just to encourage you, we've seen a lot of people set their standards and lower them because, you know, well, I, I want to be married. I want to fill a need. Uh, again, don't, don't lower your standards. Keep, keep them high. 
And uh, a lot of times uh, we, we cling on to the exception, not the rule. You know, the exception of like, well, I heard so-and-so, so-and-so's brother had a friend's sister-in-law. They met through dog walking, and their dog walker's sister was not a believer. And they got married, and they became believers. So I think it could happen to me. And uh, it, it could. But don't spend your life hoping an exception is going to be the rule for you. And that's why we say this time is so important. And, uh, you know, if it's a drag to bring that person, that special someone to church now, it will be a drag to bring them 10 years from now with three kids. That's going to be even more fun, you know, and, and then wait till you have kids. Then what do you want to do? Do they get baptized? Do they get baptized in a Catholic church? What, what do you do? And so I think that's why it's important to have these conversations now because if you don't and you ignore them later, they're going to get amplified to much bigger and heated discussions. And we want to save you from a few nuclear arguments along the way. So, I'm going to do a couple lightning round questions. Um, so let's see if you could answer some of these. Just, you know, with first answer comes to your mind. And again, these are your questions, folks. Um, do you believe in uh, question number 10? Do you believe in premarital sex? What about you, Rob? What do you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, well, in Genesis it said. <laughs> yeah. first, first Hezekiah, where's that? No, uh, it's not in the Bible. There is no first Hezekiah, guys. But, um, yeah, we, uh, this is a big question get a lot as a pastor. You know, like the Bible says, but you know, Pastor Mike, the Bible was written 5,000 years ago. Today it's 2020. I mean, like the Bible's a little bit outdated Right? Come on, come on. No, no. Again, if either we have to determine, does the Bible speak for all of our life or does it speak for portions of it? And if it speaks for portions of it, then, then it gets to be a dangerous ground, which is where we live today. Well, you might believe that, but I believe different. And if we all come up with our own set of beliefs, then where do we stand? We might as well just take our beliefs, throw them up in the air and let the wind blow it everywhere. And so we, we have to settle that issue. Is the Bible true, and is it accurate for me to live my life according to it? And uh, what we see in God's Word, it says it very clearly, Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus says it. Paul says it. Uh, but they say when it comes to sex, it's meant to be between a husband and a wife within the context of a lifelong committed marriage. Now, that could be King James Version. You could read the Message Version. All of them, they still, the translation says pretty much the same thing. And I think where it gets tricky in today's culture is they say, well, how, how do I know if I'm compatible with someone? Like, you know, like, like you test the car before you drive it. Aren't you supposed to test this? And in theory, I'm going to say like a, a weird statement here, but in theory, human beings are sexually compatible with anybody, right? They are. And so if, if we go with that guise of, well, what if, you know, we're just preparing ourselves for the honeymoon, we're preparing ourselves for the wedding day, and again, once sex enters the picture, it really does change a relationship. And so that's why I think it's important to be careful. I think it's important to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you according to your word. Uh, again, think about it through scripture. Has anybody ever that I met followed Jesus, followed his principles, and said, you know what, that was a waste of my life? Not, not. Not really, you know? And, and so are we willing to trust God, take him at his word? Uh, again, just what does culture say? It's taking a long time to answer this question, sorry. But uh, culture right now, they say that, that the average woman, uh, before they get married, will have between four to seven sexual partners before they get married. Can't tell me that's not awkward and complicated, you know? 
And so that's why I think God's word, it's, it's safe. Call it old school, but uh, we're 13 years strong. We followed old school, and it, it wasn't awkward. There was no, you know, so you, you can do it, literally. <laughs> and I heard a, um, an illustration recently that described sex as a fire, um, that when enjoyed within the fireplace of marriage, it's, you know, it's safe, it's beautiful, it's warm to enjoy. Uh, you, you know, you stoke it, you make the fire, you know, greater, more beautiful. But um, outside of that fireplace of marriage, it's just destructive and it burns and there's no way to avoid getting burnt. And so I thought that was kind of just a powerful picture um, for our minds just as we also just line it up with God's word that, you know, I think he has a better plan for us in that, in that part of our life. So I'm going to jump to uh, what was question 16, but I'm going to change it just a little bit. So the question originally was, you know, is it God honoring for me to live slash cohabitate uh, with my boyfriend slash girlfriend uh, before we get married? Um, I, I'd love to hear what you think about that, but also um, sometimes, and I'm sure you've been asked this uh, in the whole after service, well, what if I'm not having sex and I'm still cohabitating? Uh, could you address that? Right. Th that's a big one we get to in New York City, right? Because rent is so dang high. Right. Uh, I hate the first of the month, don't you? Got to write that check. And you're like, how did, well, how did they come up with these percentages? I don't even know. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll say that, right? Like, uh, you know, well, if I, if I move in, we're, we're saving money. Pastor Mike, you talked about Dave Ramsey anyway. We're following Dave's plan, you know, and stuff. And, again, the Bible doesn't technically say. It doesn't say in, you know, First Genesis 3.18, thou shalt not live with thy boyfriend or thy girlfriend or things like that. That doesn't technically say, but, but again, um, what scripture does say is run away, flee from sexual immorality, right? And all I know is in the beginning of dating, dating, usually in the beginning, it's all about attraction, right? Like when we take pictures and selfies, we look good, you know, people commenting, they like, I like her, she likes me. And then so when we move in and it's all about attraction, you can't tell me that I'm like, you know what, I want to see something. You know, right, you can't tell me that that's not in our minds. And, and that's why we encourage to, to stay away. Paul says run away from sexual immorality. Well, what if we're saving money? What if we're, you know, we're, we're kind of playing house, you know, learning the different roles and stuff. Uh, but even, let's just step aside and let's just say, maybe you're here to any, like, uh, Bible says, but it's old school. All right, I'll give you a, a more current thing. New York Times. All right, we all know New York Times. This is trustworthy like Wikipedia. But, you know, New York Times, what it says, they, they did their own study. And they literally said that those who live together before marriage, as opposed to those who wait, have a higher divorce rate than those who just wait. This is New York Times. This is not Genesis. This is not, you know, all this stuff. And so, again, culture might be saying this is the way to live, but when we really look at the facts, it should give us something to, to consider and stuff. So, Mike, you just uh, touched on uh, what's part of question number 12. It's great having these questions here. Um, if I'm divorced, can I marry again? Um, would God punish me for having a new relationship? What are your thoughts? Yeah. These are heavy questions, guys. Man, good morning. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, yeah, this again, this is one that I think it's we got to look at it from multiple angles, you know, and multiple lenses. We, we, we don't want to 
pigeon ourselves and say one statement and then, you know, well, they believe this and that. But uh, again, just to, to go to scripture, what does scripture say when it comes to divorce? You know, it, it does say divorce breaks God's heart. It does show that God's intent for relationships is man and wife, right? That, that's Genesis chapter two, uh, lifelong commitment to each other. But we know divorce is a reality, right? And it does happen not just in our culture today, but it, it has happened in culture of human history. And uh, the Bible does speak to, to grounds of divorce. It does share about three instances where it's like, okay, this is, this is wisdom in separation. Uh, the first one is abuse, right? If there's abuse going on in the home, it, it is better for your health, spiritually, emotionally, physically, to be outside of the relationship than to say, no, we, we committed lifelong, we're, we're going to stick together because God's word says. You know, the Bible does talk about that. Uh, the, the second one is adultery, right? That adultery is grounds for uh, divorce. And then the third aspect it talks about is abandonment. You know, if, if the other party walks away and says, I'm done, I'm out, you know, then then there is no choice there at that moment. So the Bible does give those three aspects. And then I think when we look at it today, you know, uh, sometimes we'll throw the word divorce or conscious uncoupling. Still don't know what that means. But, you know, we'll still throw those phrases out. You know, it just wasn't a fit. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it to, again, go, go to counseling before the divorce lawyers. Just so you know, counseling is much cheaper than divorce lawyers. I can give you the facts. All right. So start there. If you are in, in a situation, you're in a relationship that's like, man, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know what's going to happen if we're going to make it by the summer. Start there and say, we need help and seek a professional counselor who can help you. But if you're at a spot where you're divorced and you are in a relationship again, and you're looking to remarry again, I would go back to Genesis 2 where it says that God's original intent was for us to not be alone. And sometimes we look at this like, if I remarry, am I going to be under a curse? Is God going to be mad at me? And, and I think, again, we got to remember that God is for us. And, and, and the issue here is not like, you know, if I divorce and I get remarried, is that okay? I think the issue is, am I going to learn the lessons from the first time? Because if I don't, then I can very likely repeat the same lessons. And so understand God is for us. He's for relationships. But again, we got to unite ourselves under Christ so that way we can have his wisdom and his leadership. So, so Danielle, this question I think was really directed uh, uh, towards you. I think it was the guy who wrote it. It says, how do I support my spouse when she experiences regular issues at work that are very distressing to her? How would you respond to that? Well, we've lived that situation sometimes. Um, and I would say, you know, I think a lot of men have it in their hearts and minds that they just want to fix it for you. And, you know, I know that's a thing for us. When I tell him about problems at work um, or things that are stressing me out, he's like, well, what about doing this and doing that and saying this? And, you know, our personalities are very different. So where he would go into a room and just kind of, call out a problem head on. I'm more of a, um, you know, submissive to the boss, don't want to step on anyone's toes kind of person. And it would often frustrate me that he would be like, well, just do that. <laughs> it would make me more stressed out. Um, and so I think we've learned that 
I, um, some of the most practical ways he can help me is if he knows I've had a stressful day is just um, the little things like I come home and the living room's picked up or the bed is made and I mean maybe that's a, a sign of how long we've been married but I'm like oh thank you for taking care of the dishes in the sink like it's just those little things that perk me up just a little bit of like okay not one more thing to worry about um, that's really been a blessing to me so I, I think that would probably be true of most you know spouses and and just extra help with the kids on a stressful day things like that sometimes he'll bring me home some flowers or even a soda from 7-eleven I mean it's a dollar it's you know just perks me up so um it just it's more the little things than trying to fix something outright and I I think most spouses would probably agree Pro tip number two, 7-Eleven. Write that down, y'all. Okay. Um, final question, uh, and then uh, we're going to go to prayer. Ice cream, uh, too. <laughs> uh, ice, trip, pro tip number three, write that down, chocolate. Um, in 30 seconds or less for each of you, because I'd like this to be something that someone could just write down and maybe put on their wall. Just what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave someone with that's either uh, here with us today or listening to this in our recording? Well, I think bottom line is marriages are work, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I feel like from the work that we've put into our relationship and our marriage through good times and bad, it's just really built a solid foundation that we stand on, you know, when disappointments and heartaches come, you know, the more we've worked through the hard times, it's painful sometimes, and it doesn't feel good and sometimes it just feels like lord why why is it this hard and i said it when we were speaking a few weeks ago that i hear from a lot of people i just feel like it shouldn't be this hard but it is because relationships are hard work and we have an enemy that is after our marriages and our families and i just feel like if we're not committed to seeing it through just to be like you know this stinks right now and i just don't want to deal with this <laughs> if we can just turn towards each other and just figure it out get outside help when it's needed um just to remember that you're okay you know every relationship ebbs and flows through good and bad times reach out and get the help you need when you need it enjoy the beautiful fun times and keep those things in your heart for you know days to come and uh, just know that it's hard work but it's so worth it and just to be able to look back over years together and just to see the life you've made I feel like that's such a beautiful thing that if you'll just hang with it and stick with it that it's really one of the best rewards in marriage uh the, the short answer i would give is just uh i think we underestimate the power of prayer in a marriage or in a relationship a lot of times we say prayer is our last option you know well uh i guess the only thing we could do now is pray and uh that's such an insult to god sometimes right like uh, the god who can control the universe uh, control our lives can change some a circumstance at the moment of a snap of a finger and we approach him like oh, god i've tried everything else so i guess i'll pray to you and uh you know in the reality you can't control the other person and and sometimes in relationships there's there's very little you can control so for us control freaks that's scary but i'm here to help us all all right <laughs> and uh but really uh, the one thing that you can absolutely control is your response to god and so that's what i would say just just pray you know, seek God uh, together if you can. If not, just seek God continually. Ask him to make you a better spouse, a better person. Pray for the other person. And, uh, you know, God does listen. He does answer 
uh, our, our prayers. Not, not necessarily all of them, but he does hear. He does respond. And I think uh, too many times we, we try to go at it by ourselves without asking for his help. And so that's, that's my 30-second advice. Just go to God. I want to add one more thing of just you can really add one more thing. keeping your focus on the things, the dreams that God birthed in you from the beginning. You know, we both knew we were called to ministry and there have been times in that calling where there's been a heartbreak and just discouragement and, you know, Lord, is this really where we're supposed to be? And is this best for our family? And um, yesterday we were in a place um, where we, um, had once walked around this park and I was there with our boys and I remember pre-children walking around this park and kind of dreaming together. We would go on walks in the park and we would talk about, you know, what it'd be like to have kids and where do we see ourselves 10 years from now? and What would be our next step and where did we want to live? And um, that was back 13 years ago. And just to be in that park with our kids and this song kept going through my, my head. I just, um, all my life, you've been so faithful. You've been so, so good. And just thankful that even in the times when we just couldn't really see straight that God just kept those dreams in our hearts and we kept moving forward. And I just pray that for all of you too, so that one day you could just be standing in the place where you were praying and believing God for things and you can just celebrate what he's done in your life. So on that note, I want to thank both of you um, for being transparent. You know, it's not easy to have the, the lights on you standing up here and just talking about all the good and the bad in your life, but we thank you for just being that wonderful example for all of us um, at the church, so you can give them a hand. And, oh, Danielle, don't go anywhere. I'm about to ask you to actually close us out in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for this day. Um, I just thank you for everyone here, for the married couples, for those that want to be married one day, for those that are content in their singleness. God, you have a plan for each of us. And Lord, I just pray that you would birth in us new dreams this morning, God, for our own lives. And for those that are married, God, that they would just seek you wholeheartedly for next steps and a plan for their lives, God. I pray for everyone here that no matter what we're believing you for, God, that you would allow us the patience and the tenacity and the steadfastness just to believe that you are who you say you are and you'll do what you say you will do and that we will stay the course, whatever it takes, God, just to see those good things come in our lives, God, the dreams come true in our lives. And I just thank you for everyone here and pray a special blessing over them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. A amen. Amen. Thank you both.